Podcast. I'm Katie. I'm Vinny. And, and this, this is Learn, learn Real good. good. That's right, folks. <laughs> We're here to learn real good. You learn it whoop, up there. Whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> I think I could have been a, a morning. morning radio DJ yeah. if it wasn't the 3 a.m. wake up calls. You get up very get early. Up so early. I follow a few people yes, from the Montreal morning News read, yeah. and I see them posting at 3, 4 in the morning. It's like, yeah. nope. Yeah. But then you're done your day by like 11 a.m. Yeah, if you could press a button, yeah, okay, or take a pop a jelly bean, yep. whatever, and be able to wake up that early and feel fantastic, would you? I would have to go to bed so so yeah. early. Yeah, but I you, would have to go to bed so early. It still wouldn't be worth it. Well, I, let's say I want eight hours of sleep, right? Yeah. And yeah. I got to get up at three in the morning. Yeah. Even if it's easy, I still have to go to bed at 7 p.m. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is hilarious because we're both late. 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 Late, late, owl, late yeah. owls? Night no. owls. Night owls. That's yeah. It. Late. Late to bed. Late early parties. to bed. Yeah. Late to, <laughs> late to bed. Late to rise. Yeah. Makes us healthy, Makes us unwealthy, snoozy and, and lazy. And despised. And despised. Wow. <laughs> By the early morning radio oh. DJs, they hate us. See, if I could have a jelly bean, yes. as long as it wasn't licorice flavored, if I could have a jelly bean non-licorice <laughs> yeah. flavored and be able to wake up early uh-huh. and feel fantastic, I would do it. You would. I would love to be a morning person. The times when I have right. done it, always due to force, like I've had to get up that early. <laughs> I love it, except for the fact that I have a hard time sleeping. The night before. The night before. You I get, get anxious early. about the I early get, wake up. Yeah, I get in my head of, oh, it's it's 11 o'clock now. <laughs> it's 11 o'clock. I have to get up at five. Oh, it's midnight, isn't it? That's five hours of sleep. I can do math. Yeah, and then I don't sleep. Yeah, yeah. And then it's like, oh, four o'clock. I better go to sleep soon. <laughs> Might as well not sleep. It's five o'clock. <laughs> yeah, I, that, that happens when, right. I'm early, when I'm scheduled for early class. You said jelly bean. And for some reason, my brain went to, and I haven't seen these mm. in decades, literal okay. decades. Butterscotch lifesavers. Ah, uh, do you remember those? Of course, I, I would only in the context of the Christmas book life <laughs> that used to get. I used to get that for my grandma. I'm sorry, a Christmas book okay. lifesavers at Christmas. Yes. they would have this book of lifesavers that had I'm two listening. halves. Yes, and it would have like five ish rolls of lifesavers. That's the only time I would see butterscotch. It would Whoa. always be in there, and for sure, it was my favorites. That and the just pineapple. Because I will argue oh, to my, my grave good. that pineapple is the greatest of the you, original five fruit flavors. You used to be able to get whole rolls of a single flavor, like all oh, yeah. cherry, all pineapple, all butterscotch. Where yeah. are they now? Where are they? I uh, you know, I haven't seen a life's, roll of Lifesavers <laughs> in years. Do they even make them anymore? That's a fantastic question. Did Lifesavers go out of business? <laughs> Don't make me sad. Well, this isn't a Lifesavers podcast. It's true. What is the kind of podcast is it? It is a science comedy podcast yes. where we shoot the breeze. Check. And then we're going to share some <laughs> facts. And that builds up to the best part of the show yes. we, when we interview a guest. We have an awesome guest today. I'm, I'm excited. really excited to, to, to have a chat. Shall we move to phase two? Yeah. You're making this seem really like, all right, let's regimented. get this over with. Me regimented? Never. Okay, Vinny. Who goes first sharing a fact? Uh, I'll go first today. All right. Have you heard of... <laughs> How these facts start is my favorite. Yeah. Go on. Have you heard of the experiment called DART, where they smashed a little satellite into an asteroid? No. Okay. Sorry. So, you know, the dinosaurs. Yes. Famously, you know, maybe not ex- uh, annihilated, but accelerated their extinction due to the the, the asteroid um, yes, hitting the Yucatan Peninsula. Yes. Now, that's a danger. For us humans of today, course. an asteroid, a giant asteroid hitting the Earth sure. would be catastrophic yeah. uh, on many levels. Yeah. And so what do we do? we like, hey, yeah. what, what if we, we find out? What would we, if we found out there was one headed right sure. for us? And so the 
you know, the movie Armageddon, not useful in this I case. I don't want to close my eyes. <laughs> yeah. The famous... The famous line where it's easier to send up oil riggers and train them to be astronauts rather than take astronauts and train them to be oil riggers. You can't blow it up. You probably yeah. won't be able to blow it up. Like, it's very, very difficult. What you can try to do is mm. deflect it. Sure. And so to deflect it, all you have to do is just, like, hit it hard enough, like a pool ball, right? You hit it hard enough and it changes the direction. Humanity is saved. That sounds pretty great. Yeah. So they did a test. They built a specific uh, satellite and aimed, they picked a small asteroid that was coming nowhere near Earth Mm -hmm. and that they weren't going to deflect very much. It was orbiting, it wasn't even orbiting anything. It's just going around like another larger asteroid. So it's just sitting there in space, spinning around, totally harmless. And we're going to just give it just a little nudge that not even hard enough to knock it out of this orbit, just to alter it to see Mm. just how much, if we really wanted to, could we build a satellite to impact an asteroid and how much, you know, are our predictions and models good enough to say, oh, this is what's going to change. So they built it. They picked their target. They sent it up. It collided. Success. Mm. And then they measured that it changed the the orbit of this asteroid. And so instead of going around uh, the other asteroid, like it's just two asteroids going around each other, this, after the impact, it was going around 33 minutes slower okay. so we did we did change the the velocity of hmm. this uh, asteroid but <gasps> oh no big butt big butt high school project they had access to an observatory and that for like their science program they would take this high school students and do observations so while this was happening they made the project go hey let's take a look at the asteroid that thing was a collision and they started doing measurements and they did a whole bunch of measurements and they found that the asteroid was going 34 minutes slower than before. Okay. So NASA found the initial finding 33 minutes, but these high school students found it 34 and they kept trying to take more measurements. And so what happened was they reported it to NASA and it turns out it was true. Now it wasn't a full minute. The actual time was 15 seconds slower. But How was, are high school students punking NASA like that? Yeah, How yeah. Are they... Well, they have like access to like a, a solid, like it was like a seventy centimeter telescope, which is fair size. You can you can observe a lot huh. of stuff in the solar system with a telescope that has a mirror under a meter. But they they were able to do measurements and find that NASA's initial measurement was is off, or rather had changed. So is it better to be 34 minutes off? Isn't the more off you are, the more deflected? Well, it's a question of prediction and, like, what's the outcome. And they have a couple of theories of, like, whether it hit it uh, so hard that it keeps slowing down. One of the theories is that it ejected a bunch of material and then it fell back down to the mm. asteroid. And that slowed it down even more. So they're still figuring out this. It's going to take years to kind of run the analysis on it because you have to do a lot more observations over time. But it was really cool that these high school students did an observation that kind of really affected the the results of a NASA program. Does DART stand for Dinosaur Avenging Retribution Torpedo? Because I think that's probably what it is. So this was. whole time I've been talking, have you been coming up with I've been that trying acronym? to not forget that. Yeah, DART. Yeah. yeah. Then yes. Yes, that's exactly what it stands for. Very cool. Yeah. Good job, high school students. Yeah, so I thought that's like that's a pretty cool high school project result to make an observation that like is contributing to a NASA project. Wow. And so hopefully we can deflect an asteroid if it's headed our way. 
Fingers crossed. Fingers I mean, crossed. the dinosaurs did nothing. They just sat Their there. Their space program was terrible. <laughs> Their high school students, though, noticed. Yes. Hey, hey. It's coming our way. And then asteroid headed for us. Why does it? Why do you sound like Mickey Everyone Mouse? Everyone sounds like Mickey Mouse. We're gonna get today. in copyright trouble. Very cool facts. All right, Vinny, I'd love for, to hear thank you for fact, sharing thank you. that. Well, Vinny. Yes. All right. <laughs> Let's go with the rhetorical question. What do you? What do you know about autoimmune diseases? Autoimmune disease. Mm. Oh, I guess they cause you to attack your own body. Your immune system attacks parts of your body that it probably shouldn't. Yeah, correct. Basically, how some of your immune cells operate, the ones that learn sort of what we call acquired immunity, is they're faced with a chunk of material. It's supposed to be a chunk of bacteria or a chunk of a virus, a chunk of a foreign object. And they get trained to recognize that. And that's kind of what antibodies are. You make antibodies. Antibodies are like big flashing lights. They'll find that specific shape. Right. And then your body will be like, ah, attack that thing. I think it's a bad guy. And yeah, with autoimmune diseases, what happens is your body mistakenly creates antigens, which are the chunks of bad guy material, makes your own materials antigens. And then you make antibodies for it and you attack it thinking that it's a bad guy, but it's you. Obviously a problem. I mean, this is what is behind uh, a lot of diseases like multiple sclerosis, type 1 diabetes, Crohn's disease, um, hmm. psoriasis, hypothyroidism, lots of lots of different diseases. And today, do you know how we typically address autoimmune diseases? I have no idea. Suppress the entire immune system. Okay, so just shut the whole thing down. <laughs> Not completely shut down, but boo, really tur- turn down the entire immune system, yeah. which obviously sucks. Yeah. Uh, especially at a time of pandemics, right? Mm. People were... You need your immune system. Yeah, you need your immune system. That's a really tough thing to turn off. Well... What is it, Katie? Hot new development. This is really (laughs) exciting. This happened about a month ago, and I've been sitting on it. Oh, not even a month ago. A couple weeks ago. Scientists have developed a a reverse vaccine. So do you know what is happening with vaccines? So generally in a vaccine, you get a much weaker version of whatever it is that you're trying to vaccinate against and then your body is like ah this is a foreign body and then now it can identify when the full strength version of it shows up it's like uh we've seen you before we know what to do yeah and do you know what the difference is with an an rna vaccine no so rna vaccines basically they give you instructions to make the bad thing the chunk of a bad thing okay so that just it just speeds up the process Okay, yeah. So what is happening with these reverse vaccines is it basically there is a natural mechanism in our bodies where in our liver, it can mark cells, typically our own cells that are sort of dying of natural causes so that our body does not attack it. Because when we attack things, it's usually kind of like an overreaction. There's so many toxic things, toxic messenger chemicals that you end up damaging your body. And that's what a lot of inflammation is, right? So there's a natural mechanism that when things are sort of dying, your own cells are dying of natural causes, that you're, you put a little mark and say, okay, leave that guy. They're going to die on their own. Okay. Don't attack. Okay. Not worth attacking. It's going to expire. Like it's got a, its own ticking time bomb. So this reverse vaccine basically is utilizing this technique that we can add to existing cells, the ones that are being attacked with, by this whatever particular autoimmune disease this person is affected by. And they will no longer attack them, basically curing. So you basically like put a little flag, like do not touch. Yeah. Use vaccines to plant the flags on those materials. And so this was done with mice 
Mice or rats? Mice or rats, I can't remember. Sure. Uh, Some rodents. Multiple sclerosis, and okay. it basically cured them. Get out. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. So That's huge. Right? So, I mean... Mice, it takes a sure. while to get from mice to humans, right? And there but the principle is, but sounds reasonable. Yeah, using natural mechanisms to fight for good. We're going to hack the body, man. But uh, that'll be very, very good news for anyone with autoimmune diseases in the future. And it's something that the anti-vaxxers can get on board with if it's a reverse <laughs> vaccine. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it's like, yeah. it's not a vaccine. It's a reverse vaccine. You can't uh, be against it. You must be for those. I mean, you know... Uh, <laughs> Roll the dice as to how they'll feel about this because, you know, uh, logic won't help you there. Uh, but it's well, very, that's very amazing. exciting because yeah. obviously just well, yeah. suppressing your entire immune system And so many people great. suffer from it. And I mean, just think of like the cost of insulin right now. Yeah. Uh, it would uh, fix And people like me who have suffer from the very sad disease of hay fever. We were afflicted for years. Allergies. Allergies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, I, I like that you compare your suffering yes. with hay fever to... Hey, we're the silent majority out there. <laughs> we're disease, all quietly... We're all quiet. No one pays attention to us. Wow. The real victims. <laughs> the real well, victims. with that, shall we move on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All that's a cool right. fact, that's Katie. Enough, thank you. That's right, enough, thank you. That's enough of us. Let's get our guest <gasps> in here, shall Is we? Is it time? Yeah. Read the bio, man. You got it. Let's say hi to Zach Cal. He's currently a master's student at the University of Alberta in the Faculty of Agriculture, Life, and Environmental Science. His master's thesis focuses on upgrading a renewable liquid fuel into a sustainable jet fuel. When Zach isn't in the lab, he enjoys spending time outdoors, volunteering with local communities, and playing soccer. Hello, Zach. Hello, Vinny and Katie. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for coming on, Zach. Yeah, yeah. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for having me. Let's talk fuel. (laughs) My favorite topic. What? what? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So we're going to talk, start really simple. Um, what, what is, <laughs> what, what is fuel? What is fuel? Like what makes fuel fuel? What types wow, of existential. <laughs> what, types of... what makes, what is time? Yeah. What, what makes what fuel fuel? fuel? Yeah. Well, anything can be fuel. If you use something to get energy from it, then it's fuel. You could take, um, some firewood. If you burn it, then it's fuel. Um, right. gas at the gas station, um, uh, even alcohol is used as fuel sometimes. So fuel can right. be anything as well. It just depends on how you use it. Mm, yeah. And your hopefulness. How badly you want it. <laughs> I don't think how badly you want it has a factor. Well, I know like a lot of fuels are hydrocarbon dense, right? Mm-hmm. Do you know what, what is it about? What, what up with carbons and hydrogens that make them good for fuel, for food or for powering planes? Basically, I mean, fuel, we use fuel for energy, right? And we get the energy by breaking bonds. So hydrocarbons, when you burn fuel in your car, you're just breaking bonds. And when you break those bonds, there's a net release of energy. And that's how your mm-hmm. car moves. So we love our hydrocarbons because they can store and release a lot of energy. That's really nice. cool. Yeah. Good, job, Good work, hydro- hydrocarbons. <laughs> Where would we be without them? Yeah. Now, uh, so you're looking at upgrading renewable liquid fuel into a sustainable jet fuel i'm gonna just start with this first part what is a renewable liquid fuel that's that's a very good question renewable liquid fuel is what we call liquid gold so it's identical to the fuel that you would get from from fossils basically you dig it up out of the ground or you can make it in the lab and when you make it in the lab it's renewable because we can make as much of it as we want okay the way we make it is we use Usually, usually 
it's food waste that we use. A fun way to think about this is food. There's carbohydrates in food, right? Right. Carbohydrates. If you flip those around, it becomes hydrate carbons, so like hydrocarbons. Uh. So people usually use fats, which are technically almost chemically identical to fuel. They just have oxygen molecules in there. If we can remove okay. those oxygen molecules, then we have hydrocarbons, which are, is our gasoline and, and diesel fuels. So that's okay, our renewable. I've, yeah. seen, I've seen like uh, some cars be converted to use like uh, like oil used for French fries and stuff like that. But the, the first diesel engine I think made in uh, the 1890s was designed to run on peanut oil. There was no diesel oh. fuel at that time. So the, even in the demonstration, right, that makes yeah, sense. It, it, was, it was peanut and oil. And we know in the future, from Back to the Future, yeah. um, that we can stick banana peels <laughs> in into, Mr. Fusion. into Mr. Fusion, <laughs> and that will power our cars, correct? Yeah. Not too far away. <laughs> so how do you remove the oxygens? Like, light it, put a little spark by it, burn off that oxygen, hope the whole thing doesn't explode? How do you get rid of oxygen? Kind of. You just, you just put it under high temperature, high pressure, and that's, that's Easy. pretty much it. Oxygen pops right off, you're done. So how, how, why aren't we doing this for all of our fuel now? taking all of our compost heaps and making it into reusable fuel. Yeah, is the process for this more energy intensive than it, it gets out of it? The reason is we don't really have enough oil to go around. We don't have enough used cooking oil to, to go around uh, hmm. to, to make these things. So everyone is trying to figure out how to change a specific feedstock or a specific waste into uh a renewable fuel. Uh, the most mm -hmm. interesting one we've, we've done is uh, we've taken uh, poultry fat or chicken fat and we've turned that into fuel and I'm trying to turn that into jet fuel. So a chicken isn't a flightless oh. bird. It's a, it's a, it's a non-flight bird and I'm trying to make it help us take flight. <laughs> yeah. And that's your main motivation yeah. is for the chicken's yeah. egos to feel like they can fly too in a way. Yeah. It's really for the poetic irony. <laughs> <laughs> so is the I really don't know the answer to this. Is the fuel in a jet different from the fuel in a car? That's a good question. Yeah, good question. Very very because if if you take diesel fuel, like you take a you take a a bus, the fuel in a bus could power a jet, but <laughs> the problem is when the jet takes off, and you get to negative seventy degrees Celsius that fuel would freeze mm. and once that fuel once that bus fuel freezes yeah planes coming down faster than it went up <laughs> oh no yeah we don't want that so the, the, so the fuel the fuel has to not freeze that's like a big factor i guess that's i want to say 80 percent of the difference between uh, wow. what the what the fuel the bus uses and the fuel the jet uses okay the freezing point. and so how what's, how does that get there like do you just add like antifreeze to it <laughs> I wish Just I wish pour, it was that easy. Pour in the yeah, bus fuel plus a jug of antifreeze. <laughs> you're good to go. If it, if it were that easy, I'd, I'd I'd have been done my thesis. Uh, <laughs> I've got a great idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad I saved you all this time. All right, let's wrap it up here. <laughs> One page. <laughs> you fools! We had it sitting in front of us this whole time. <laughs> yeah, how, how do we miss it, right? But um, the, the, there's actually limits because. Jet fuel does have some antifreeze in it, but there's limits as to how much you can add in there. Uh, right. So back in the day, they used to add lead to, to help lower the freezing point, but obviously you can't do that anymore. Oh. Yeah, that's that's part of the reason why uh, 
leaded fuel was a thing. Hmm. But you can't do that anymore. So what they do now is they, they, they do something called isomerization of the fuel. And that's basically taking, if you take one fuel molecule with eight carbons, isomerization changes its shape without changing the number of carbons in there. So you still have eight okay. carbons, except instead of it being a, for example, straight chain fuel molecule, it becomes very jagged and branched. We call it a branch chain molecule. Interesting. Oh, that's pretty, that's pretty analogous to like the difference between saturated and unsaturated fat, right? Very cool. That's why we have solid butter, but liquid oil. Similar, not exactly ah. analogous, but yeah. Right. That's cool. So how do you cause that isomerization? That is the question that I've been trying <laughs> to figure out for the past two years now. Uh-huh. I've been trying to antifreeze. because <laughs> yes, be a happy coincidence. I feel like, you know, it's worth a shot. <laughs> the, the way that we do this is we try catalysis. So we... I'm trying to figure out what the perfect catalyst is to take mm. in the molecule, isomerize it, and then give us a branched molecule. But at the same time, you don't want a catalyst that's too strong, for the lack of better words, because if you start out with an eight-carbon molecule, you also run the risk of breaking it into four mm. two-carbon molecules, and then it's worthless. You just ruin right. the fuel. Yeah. Wow. So it's like a pretty delicate task here. It is. There's a sweet spot, if you will. Right. Do you know of any natural mechanisms? Like, are there animals or plants or, or, or other industries that do this already? Like, to, to use as sort of a proof of principle? Uh, there are, I mean, companies, the big oil and gas companies already do isomerization, but the they use a lot of hydrogen, which is not very sustainable at the moment. And they also use a lot of platinum, which is very expensive. So we're trying to lower platinum. costs. Yeah, so we're... We're trying to lower the cost so that the cost of our renewable jet fuel is similar to, to what we have conventionally. Oof. Oh, wow. That's a big challenge. That's a yeah. tough one. Yeah. yeah. And so right now you're working with chicken fat. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, my first question is, Delicious. Well, yeah, where are you getting this from? <laughs> uh, chicken. AFC. <laughs> We're getting it from chickens, obviously. But no, um, the... Poultry industry doesn't really know what to do with its um, chicken fat. So they can pay to throw it away or they can give Uh. us some of it. If we can turn it into jet fuel, then we've given them an opportunity. We've given value to their waste product. So they're helping us out right now in the hopes that we can figure something out and then help them out. Give them right. Give value to their product. You're turning like something that was waste before into something that has value, and they can sell it. And it benefits them. Yes, exactly. Because who yeah. who really buys chicken does. fat? Why are poultry for- farms accumulating chicken fat? Don't they just sell the? T- <laughs> they just sell the chicken. <laughs> no, but they probably re- like trim it, the chicken when it's being. Yeah. You know... Oh, I guess they're not selling it the whole thing. No. Yeah. It's better <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've been to a grocery store lately, Katie. I'm a vegetarian, to be yeah. fair. <laughs> you still see the meat department. Uh, no. There might be feathers. Yeah, there know. might be feathers. All right. Well, I'll, yeah, there aren't any. It's so, so, <laughs> so, what is a day like in the lab for you, Zach? Are you like, oh, here's this? I'm gonna pour this chemical. Ah, didn't I summarize? <laughs> like, what, what, are, what are you doing, sort of on the day? Yeah, do you use any bubbling beakers or spirally, <laughs> spirally tubes? That's what I thought I'd be using when I when I first joined. <laughs> but um, I've only I've I've used the spirally tubes once. Yeah. So that's off my bucket list, at least. <laughs> no two days was it for chicken fat chicken fat transport 
<laughs> it was for distillation. But um, mm. I, I don't think any two days at the lab are the same, really. Every day mm. is different. But in general, you'd wake up, head to the lab, and then I'd run an experiment on Monday. And it would take me, running the experiment would take a day or two. I'd try out a different combination of catalyst and uh, feedstock. And then I'd, ta- I'd spend the next four days trying to analyze what I made. Trying to see if uh, what I made is bringing us closer to jet fuel or taking us further. And what what kind of tests do you do to check that? Like, do you like put it under the microscope? <laughs> like, how do you check like what the isomer looks like? It's it's a very hard task to do, but there's a bunch of different equipment we can use. My favorite one to use is the gas. Uh, it's called GC gas chromatography, and mm-hmm. I. Prep my sample, I add some of my sample, I add some solvent, usually carbon disulfide, and then an internal standard, run it in the gas chromatograph, and it separates, because in our fuel, we, we can have upwards of a thousand components, all okay. in one in one milliliter of our fuel. So what the gas chromatograph does is it separates the uh, compounds of the fuel into each constituent compound, so then I can see a thousand peaks but i don't have to see them all at the same time it separates them for me and then i just label each peak to see what i've got what i don't have and the differences i have between where i started and where i am now wow and isomers will look different even though they're chemically the same yes isomers will look different because they separate based on time so some things elute we say some things leave the gas chromatograph at one minute, some things at two minutes, and it, it goes down to the to, to the to the seconds. Huh. So depending based That's on the amazing. time. Hey, what's going on? We are Pull the Plug Podcast with myself, Mrs. Godzilla. And me, Justin G. Myself, Justin Briner. And me, Sarah M. Pull the Plug Podcast, it's a place where music fans, pop culture nerds, and people who love dick jokes come together each week. A place of worship, if you will. Check us out at ptppodcast.com for all your dick needs. And how close are you getting? Like, what, like, when you're like, oh, we did it, you're going to be like, that's it, you're done? Or you're, or you're like, oh, we're getting closer this way. Oh, this is this is not promising. Abandon ship. We're getting really close, at least in the batch scale. Because the, the, the way these things go is you, you start very, very small. You start with one, two milliliter proof of concepts. And then you scale up to a hundred milliliter flow reactor. And then you scale up to one liter, five liter, and then eventually you get to the pilot plant scale, 100 liters plus. So right now we're almost done the one to two milliliter uh, proof of concept phase. So we're getting there. In maybe two or three weeks, we're going to get started on our flow reactor, 100 mils. But then everything speeds up after that. So. I'd say we're getting really okay. close. So I'm, I'm excited. Hmm. That is really cool. Yeah. It, it made me think, like, this This sounds exciting. Like, why don't we... We should live stream experiments. I guess then people could publish what we're doing. <laughs> Some of the stuff is, like, really cool. I yeah. wish you could, like, watch these things in action. Like, remember webcams? Remember when webcams was a thing? Like, webcam on a coffee pot or someone's street. An owl nest. An owl nest. Bird yeah, bird nests are always cool. Yeah, that'd be so cool So why not science. some scientists, some grad students cam? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> grad cam. <laughs> So how far do you weigh do you think we are from sustainable fuels being like the main thing that we use? Like 10 years off, 20 years off, we'll be dead by then. Sounds like a couple weeks. (laughs) (laughs) I really wish it was, but 
I mean, right now, if you if you fly into LAX, there's a good chance that some of the fuel that you use on your flight into or out of LAX does have sustainable aviation fuel on it. So we're not that far away. If you drive in Canada, in most provinces, and you fill your gas up at any Canadian gas station, part of that fuel is renewable because there's mandates now Yeah, that you, every fuel provider has to provide 2% to 5%, I'm not really sure, renewable fuel in their conventional fuel. So it's not how far away are we from sustainable fuel, it's how far away are we from 100% sustainable fuel. Oh, interesting. So is this the ethanol I see uh, labeled? Yeah, yeah, the ethanol is a renewable fuel to add to to gasoline for for regular cars, yeah. Wow. And so I guess there's a hopefully a day coming where we're just taking all our food waste, converting it into hydrocarbon fuel for cars and jets and lawnmowers or whatever. Yeah, but like I said, it's I don't think we have enough food waste to supply our demand for for hydrocarbons. Yeah, that's shocking considering how much food waste you think. Like, I look at that compost container we've got. I can't believe that's not enough. <laughs> well, you think about how much fuel it takes to fill up a car, right? Like, I'm not filling it up with a liter. I'm, yeah. You know, I fill up the car. You know, car, depending on what you have, it's like 30, 40, 50, I guess 60 if you have like a mega car or some kind. Yeah, there's too much lettuce in that compost. Yeah. Are you going to advocate for an all-chicken diet, Zach? <laughs> that you could increase the amount of chicken fat in our compost? If, if the vegans don't shoot me, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we're supposed to go away from meat in the sustainable diet. Are there other differences with the sustainable fuel? Like, are there less additives or is it otherwise pretty much the same? It, it's pretty much the same because it's identical to, to what we have in the ground. Um, hmm. It does burn a little bit cleaner and you do have better control of what gets inside it because you are, right. again, making it in the lab. Right. It, it, yeah. And... And it also smells great coming out. <laughs> it doesn't smell like fried chicken, I'll tell you that. <laughs> That's disappointing. Yeah, that is disappointing. <laughs> Can you imagine all these cars smelling like KFC? That'd be fantastic. You're really going out, you're really sponsored by KFC today. <laughs> the only chicken establishment I can think of right now. So so Zach, why why jet fuel in particular? Why not car fuel? Car fuel, we already have our car fuel methods. Our our we've already patented it. We've commercialized it. So there's not much okay. to innovate on in that area. Hmm. But a lot, even Canada and the world right now is focused and they're chasing a sustainable jet fuel because it's proven very, very hard to achieve. The hmm. U.S. has goals by 2050. Canada released eight months ago their uh, sustainable aviation fuel plan, their, their aviation sector net zero goal by 2050, I believe. So... There's a lot of goals that we haven't reached yet in, mm-hmm. in, in that regard. So that's why. And we still, we're still we still burning hydrocarbons. So I'm assuming a byproduct is always going to be CO2. Yes. But the, that CO2 is inevitably going to be released, whether it gets released at the landfill or it gets released when mm-hmm. we use it in to, to, to do something meaningful like flying or connecting place that's a really good argument because that's yeah. not true for fossil fuels yeah. fossil right? fuel stays in the ground if you don't burn it you, whereas yeah. the food that we waste is going to just decompose and it sometimes decomposes to methane which is even worse than co2 yeah 27 times so we're really times doing worse. a favor by burning these i mean <laughs> yeah 
In fact, we have to do it. We have to burn it to save the planet. You know Vinny's going to just set fire to our compost bin after this recording. I'm helping people. It's only the sustainable thing to do. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) This master student agrees. (laughs) It's the right thing to do. But yeah, that's a great argument. Like, I mean... Look, we don't have a easy substitute for jet fuel anytime soon. Like electric cars, not bad. They do pretty good. But we're not getting electric planes, like commercial electric planes. That that charge doesn't exist <laughs> yet. The batteries would be so heavy. Yeah, I w- so I can't see us having, and we're not giving up air, uh, airplanes. No, no way are we ever giving up because lots. No of you- way. No way. Not if Zach has anything to say about it. <laughs> no, because you think about it. A, a lot of goods and services need to be delivered by airplanes. Sometimes mm. you say we could do without these goods and services. We, we could take trains. We, we don't need that air-flown produce. Right. But what about islands? Islands are places, too, right. that need to be connected to, to with, with timely uh, goods and services. So. Yep. That's a good point. We always think of like the gas used by planes as ooh, people traveling, right? But it's a, a lot it's more so to much do more, with yeah. trade of goods. Isolated communities that sometimes it's just the only way they get stuff. Yeah, I, I think I think it's uh, you know we can argue whether we can reduce the amount of flights that happen. That's fine, but what we can also do is just make the footprint of it better. Yeah. So so one challenge with jet fuel is the temperature thing are there other challenges when designing that fuel or is it really just the temperature difference that's the big issue it it really boils down to the to the temperature issue and and when it freezes because if the fuel freezes thirty thousand feet in in the air that's that's a big problem Hmm. oops are there are there other fuels we talked about cars and planes but are there other fuels like the submarine fuel that are like (laughs) (laughs) really challenging to design but boats are are an interesting thing to, to the best of my knowledge they're already pretty they don't contribute a lot to, to climate change so there's not much focus huh. on on uh ships and and renewable fuels for them but i know a lot of hmm. research is going into methanol at which which is a different type of alcohol to fuel plane uh to fuel ships sorry and i believe a couple of years ago the first ship to ever be powered 100 percent by methanol actually set sail Oh, so that's it's very interesting to to see where every type of fuel is now trying to become more sustainable, more renewable. Right, yeah. right. You you mentioned that if the fuel, like when you're working with your isomerization, if you accidentally break the molecules into being four carbons long, they're useless. Why why is that? Is there like a, a range of carbon lengths that are useful, and beyond that, they're just yeah. Like why why would they no longer work? There actually is. The, the, very astute point um the when the carbon chains get too short you get to three or four carbons that's when they start to become gas and no longer liquid and once they're gas you can't really burn them i mean you can burn them but there's no way of you to to transport them from from point a to point b right Um, if they get too long they get too long have you ever seen vaseline yeah it's called petroleum jelly why is it called petroleum jelly because it's just very long chains of petroleum so long chains are solid medium chains are liquid short chains are gas so you can't you don't want it to be too short where it's gas you don't want it to be too long where it's solid you want it it's all about the sweet spot all about so what's what's that let's guess Vinny. let's guess what the range in carbons is yeah for for liquid 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 two to four well, no, you said four is bad, so I'm going to Oh, guess. for liquid. Oh, I, yeah, that and would be guess. it tends to be an even numbers for yeah. reasons I don't know. But I'm going to guess 
6 to 22. I'll say 6 to 16. 6 to 6. Six to twenty-two is is very very accurate. It's shockingly accurate. It's actually I would say C five to C twenty-four, but that's shockingly wow. accurate. It also depends on what room temperature is, right? I know right, the range right. and length of fatty acids goes to about twenty-two. I was just using that as a point of reference. I had no idea if it was you a used your thing. biology well, information. You know, I've got some moves. Oh boy! All right. Well, you win this round, Katie. <laughs> and it's recorded. <laughs> So, like, how did you get into this? Did you did you grow up flying airplanes or having <laughs> hanging out with chickens? Like, like I, got, I feel bad for these chickens. I want to make them fly. Which came first, the chicken or the plane? That's what we're asking. It's it's very interesting how I, I got into this. I, I was born and raised in North Africa in Libya, and over there, our economy relies heavily on oil and gas. Huh. Hmm. So I always thought about, and I was taught as a kid that oil and gas was going to run out at some point and that's what i grew up believing right. so i wanted to figure out an alternative for oil and gas while still mm. being able to you know use cars use trucks use planes when i graduated high school i moved to malaysia did my undergrad there in environmental science and during my third or fourth year i'd totally forgotten all about renewable fuels and oil and gas by my third or fourth year there but in my fourth year i had to do an undergrad thesis and my supervisor told me about this thing called biodiesel. He told me it's diesel that doesn't come from the ground. And I was mind blown. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, I've been chasing the dragon and I ended up <laughs> doing my master's in... Biodiesel is an old term. Uh, it's not... People don't like to use it anymore. So uh, they say renewable liquid fuel. And I found this position at right. the U of A and it was right up my alley. And I just had to, I just had to grab it. Because wow. that, that faculty is one that I have not heard that combination of nouns before. It may be a U of A special. Like, what what was your undergrad background in? Like, because I could see you being from engineering or chemistry or biology. Like, what 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 area yeah, were for you your undergrad? For? Everyone at the U of A thinks our faculty is is the faculty where, you know, mis- miscellaneous topics are put. So there's not <laughs> one focus. In my faculty, people study material science, like textiles. We study renewable yeah. fuels. We study food. We study pretty much everything. So that's why uh, our faculty gets a lot of you know jokes made about. But it, it, it's <laughs> interesting because you get to meet people doing a lot of different things, and uh, it makes collaborating very easy. Mm. Yeah, that's true. It's in- innately interdisciplinary. For sure. But your undergrad background was in was in what? It, environmental science and management. Okay. Yeah, so okay. okay, it was all about the environment. Were you always interested in science though? You were always interested in fuels, but did, were you like a sciencey little kid? Oh, I loved science. My favorite topic was my favorite subject in school was chemistry. In fact, but okay, once I moved, once I started my undergrad, I didn't take a single. I actually took one chemistry course in the four years of my undergrad. So, when I joined my masters, I loved learning about liquid renewable liquid fuels but then i realized that i didn't know enough chemistry so i had to hmm. have to get to grinding you know <laughs> yeah i take it that undergrad chemistry was an unpleasant experience <laughs> and uh you're like one and done that's kind of what happened to me yeah, avoid at all costs <laughs> yeah <laughs> i also went into undergrad with chemistry being my favorite of the sciences and had an unpleasant organic chemistry experience <laughs> i was like i'm out <laughs> i don't think i don't think they're ever pleasant organic chemistry <laughs> yeah 
my major error was I didn't spend the $20 on the model kit. And I realized pretty quickly that that's pretty useful. Like right, in the exam, right. I was looking around, everyone was building the molecules. And I'm like, mm, that would be handy right about now. <laughs> 20 bucks, kidding. Eh, maybe you should have done that. I've, I'd only heard of it by reputation. And I was like, that is not for me. Organic yeah. chemistry is a whole other world, man. Tough one, tough one. Mm. So where do you see, do you think you're going to work in industry? Like, I know this is early on in your academic career, but where do you see ideally your career headed, Zach? That's, that's a question I ask myself almost every day. And a lot of <laughs> a lot of grad students ask themselves a lot of the time. Of course. I thought long and hard about it, and I think the best solution is to have an open mind. So some yeah. days I feel like I want to continue in academia. Other days I want to go into industry. Other days, I want to go into yeah. policy and analysis with, with the government. Mm-hmm. So, you know, depends on the day, depends on the mood. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. keep your options open. Yeah, Zach. keep your options open. Best way to that's do. always a good thing to do. Yeah. I think that's another benefit of having like an interdisciplinary faculty, right? You have yeah. all these people going in different directions and makes it sort of easier to see the different doors that are open to you. It's not like everyone goes to med school or something like that, yeah. where the, the roads seem narrow and not as forked. Yeah. There are a lot of options when you when you're doing your grad work. That's the yeah. At the end of the day, network, 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 right? It's who you know. That's how you find out about opportunities. That's how you get opportunities. Yeah. Like that's that's the key more than more than. And anything you can always thing. ask people who've done stuff and ask them about their experiences and, and absolutely, you, know, you get to live a little bit without investing too much of your time going down one path. Yeah, find out what they did. Yeah. <laughs> Now, outside the lab, Zach, you say you like spending time outdoors. You're out in Edmonton, where it's very cold six months of the year. What <laughs> what sort of outdoor things do you like to keep yourself busy with? There's nothing better than a negative 30 degrees Celsius walk at like 10 p.m. <laughs> no one is out, and you have the whole city to yourself. You just That's true. seven layers and, you know, AirPods, <laughs> some music, and you walk down the street. It's, it's, it's beautiful, really. I, I learned to love the Edmonton winters. For me, it was, I'm a mascara wearer, and in the minus 30, the eyelashes would freeze, <laughs> and it was a crazy mess. If it wasn't for that, I would have been a, a bigger fan. Yeah. I like winter. I love a good minus 30 when it's nice and cold out. It gets it gets way colder in Edmonton than it ever yeah. gets here. It is another planet. In fact, I remember once being there, waiting for a shuttle to the airport, and my brother texted me to tell me that at that moment in time, it was colder in Edmonton than on the moon. And that's when I realized <laughs> maybe too cold here. It was minus I think you mean Mars. Oh, Mars. Mars. Yeah. Sorry. Because the moon, the moon is even colder. No, it doesn't I'm have an sorry. atmosphere. I'm sorry. It seems like the moon, Mars would be colder. Mars is nice and toasty, nice and toasty compared to Edmonton. Um, and what's, <laughs> what sort of volunteering do you do, Zach? Uh, uh, food bank. Um, that's a very important issue to me because i because mm. i studied environmental science sustainability mm. you can't have sustainability without food security so mm. a lot of students especially grad students uh, find it hard to you know have a healthy and yeah. sustainable supply of food so i volunteer at the food bank once or twice a week trying to you know give back amazing yeah. Zach. That's very nice. Yeah. Well, Zach, I think that's all that's the time it. we have. Thank you so much for taking Thank time for away from the the chickens <laughs> um, to tell us all about your really important research. Yeah. And best of luck. Thank yeah, you this really sounds really cool. Thank you for having me. That was very cool. That was awesome. Wow. Yeah, yeah I, I guess it makes sense to just try to get 
keep as much of the hydrocarbons in the ground as possible and just find alternative sources. And it's a real, I mean, look, would it be nice to not burn any fuel and not contribute more to CO2? Of course. But let's be honest with ourselves. It's not happening. Not anytime (laughs) soon. I mean, maybe one day we'll figure it all out and be like, oh, just, you know, put the banana peel in Mr. Fusion and you're good to go. But we're not there yet. We need to, we do need to like transition off of it. It's a good point that those, those, the food waste, the CO2, the the chemicals are going to be released from that anyway, yeah. right? If you dump it in a landfill and it could even be worse. There's gases. a lot of energy that gets wasted in the system. And <sighs> we're going to we're going to fix that. <laughs> we are. Well, we are. I think Zach is. Well, by by we, I mean Zach. <laughs> <laughs> you just for now you'll just continue to light your compost on fire because you think that that's going to help. And I know it is. Well, that's it. We learned a lot today. Yeah. yeah. We learned about autoimmune dart. Yeah. And uh, inverse vaccines. In, re- in reverse reverse vaccines, vaccines. Inverse vaccines. Reverse vaccines. I forget which one it is. Re- auto reverso. <laughs> double backup. And we learned a lot about how to make sustainable fuels. That's very cool. Jet- yeah. Sounds like a, sounds like a, a, a very uh, painstaking process. <gasps> Trial and error. That's Trial so much of science is yeah. like that. For sure. I mean, you're making educated guesses and you have to do all the measurements. But yeah, it's... Yes, got to be systematic. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Well, ben, do you want to send people off on our social? I would love to send people out on the social. Uh, <laughs> if you're looking to follow us on social media, you can check us out on Facebook, on Instagram, on TikTok, and on YouTube uh, at LRG Pod or on YouTube. Just look up Learn Real Good. We have some short video clips there. Uh, and if you want to contact us, if you are a grad student uh, or would know a grad student who might want to be on the show, have them send us an email at learnrealgoodpodcast at gmail.com. That's learnrealgoodpodcast at gmail.com. Even if you're a fan and you want to say, hey, I really like your show. It's never happened. It's never happened. <laughs> so you can send that there too. We'll accept fan mail, even if it's Katie's mom. Yes, mom, please send us fan mail. <laughs> and if you enjoy the show, uh, you can rate, review, subscribe. Yeah, tell a friend. Wherever tell- you get your podcast. Yeah, tell, yeah, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Tell your friends <laughs> wherever you get your friends. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's it for us. Thank you, Vinny. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Zach. Thank you for listening. See you next time on Learn Real Learn Good. Learn Real Good. Remember our jingle? Yeah. All right, goodbye. Bye-bye.